0: one's gone down there. Okay, there you go, they're off. So, uh, praise God, it's wonderful. Please, if you have your Bibles, please turn to, uh, to Joshua. Uh, we're starting a new series today, and, um, it's, uh, it's always great and enjoyable from my perspective to jump into a new series, but today is by way of introduction, and then we're just kind of looking towards what's going to be happening over the next seven weeks. Um, so please, uh, Please commit to coming every week. I'm believing that this series is going to impact your life. It's also the series uh, for those of you who don't know. I start a sabbatical uh, on the final Sunday of uh, this series. I'm actually going to be a week in to my sabbatical, and it's, uh, I'm very grateful and looking forward to that. And so this is a, this is a good series for me to hopefully communicate to you, and uh, and that you'll feel blessed by it. Let me give you some background before we jump. Actually, I need you to turn to Numbers. Numbers, all the scriptures are going to be on the screen. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. So the history of this is, is really quite simple and, and, uh, and you, should, you should know it reasonably well because they're very well-known stories. For 400 years, Israel had been uh, in captivity in Egypt and Joseph had uh, long gone. Joseph was the one that instrumentally brought in Israel when he was the prime minister of Egypt. You know, Joseph and the multicolored uh, Dreamcoat. If you watch the, uh, if you watch the uh, the musical, he he's the guy who invited Israel in. So they came in. And they started to multiply, and there's millions of them. And now they find themselves in captivity, and it's for 400 years. Now a few hundred years ago God had given Abraham a very specific promise and he'd said this he said to your offspring Abraham I will give this land in other words I'm going to give you a promise that's going to be flourishing you're going to find life there it's going to be a place of 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 wonder and and it's going to be an amazing place and so the Israelites have this promise resonating inside their minds because while being in captivity they're like okay Where's this promise? Where's this gone? This has been over. This is hundreds of years since God gave us this promise. Has He forgotten about us? Has He has He moved on? But they didn't realise that God was bringing up Moses, and so Moses came into uh, into the lives of the Israelites, and you know the story. He leads them out of captivity towards the promise, and so we pick this story up at a very significant point because. God had promised Moses that he was going to lead the Israelites into the promised land, a land that is full of milk and honey and flourishing and beauty. And really, the journey from Egypt into the promised land, 10 days. That's it, 10 days. And there are approximately 3 million people. 3 million people moving across the land, they're experiencing miracles, they're seeing incredible things, and they're literally in Numbers chapter 13, you can read it fully later, they're at the edge of the promised land. And and so what Moses does is he takes 12 spies, each one of them representing a tribe uh, from Israel, and sends them into the promised land. They're there for 40 days, 40 days. And so, and then they come back. And here's what the report was, this is in Numbers chapter 13, about what they saw in the land. This is very important to frame our series in Joshua. We went into the land, they said, to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So they brought back some fruit. Smart. You know, I taste it. It's great. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, which are giants. All right, so the report that they're bringing back isn't full of positivity. You, you, you see that. They're, they're concerned that, yes, the promise is wonderful, but this little word here, but, that is significant. But there's giants. But there's fortified cities. So the promise is on the other side of these obstacles, these, this opposition. And so this is problematic. This is worrying. What, what are we going to do they're specifically talking about a specific city called Jericho. Jericho, as we know, is a very well-known story in the Old Testament, the walls of Jericho. And by the way, can I just point out what the South Art Project did in, in this? I, I love this. I walked into the room. Isn't it great? I walked into the room and I was like, oh my goodness, is the ceiling falling in? And then I realized, no, no, this is, this is South Art Project. I love it. And they have worked hard this week. And uh, it looks amazing, so thank you for that. And those of you who don't know what the South Art Project is, you wander through that door. You'll see we have this beautiful art studio, and we have a group there that lead the South Art Project. Every week they get together. It's a phenomenal story. I haven't got time to go through it. But if you want to find out more, Wendy, and, and I think Maureen is here as well. And uh, they were giving out doodle papers. I don't know if you saw that as you came in. I hope you're taking advantage of that. So let's pick up again. So they're talking about Jericho. This city of Jericho is a fascinating city. They've actually been able to know now what these walls, these famous walls, look like. So here's here's a diagram. I don't think it's to scale, as you can see from the little uh, person on the left-hand side there. But each wall, there was actually two walls. There was two walls, each 26 foot in height. And they were built on an earthen embankment, including a retaining wall. So it's 26 foot plus around about 10 foot, they reckon, of this, this, this bank. So you can see it's well fortified. And there's giants living there, people who are far bigger than the Israelites at the time. And so they're living in this place. They're incredibly well protected. And this is an oasis in the desert. It is well known for its resource, for its fortification. It's a powerful, powerful city. And in the walls, there's gates. And they're just. It's, you'd look at this. And you could barely see the city because it is so well fortified. So the spies are coming back with this in their mind. And to be honest, defeating Jericho would have been beyond the Israelites' wildest imaginations. These people are probably uh, not at their physical best because they were in slavery from Egypt. They're thinking, how on earth are we going to meet this obstacle? How are we going to overcome this seemingly impossible Obstacle. So, what has this got to do with us? You see, the reality is this, and as Christians, we believe this strongly: that the promise of Abraham echoes in our hearts. What do I mean by that? Right at the beginning, biblically, we believe. And please listen to the FAQ series. If your, which is from the fall, if you're interested in some of the science behind this and some of the reasoning, I believe this, and we believe this. But we believe that God created man, mankind, men and women in his image. In other words, it's actually the phrase we use is Imago Dei, the image of God from Genesis chapter 1. And as a result of that, the Ecclesiastes it says there's eternity in each of our hearts. In other words, there's a sense of a promise of more. There's a sense of something bigger. There's a sense that this has got to be more than this. And we can feel it when we listen to beautiful music or see amazing art. We're caught up in wonder when we look at a landscape and the beauty of today. And there's just something that takes our breath away. That's eternity placed in our heart. We have been created for something more. If you don't believe that, there's a real simple proof to what I'm saying is right. We know there's something more because when life comes to an end, we know it's wrong. We sense it's wrong. And as a pastor, I've been in situations many times with families who have lost loved ones and it feels like there's something better. It shouldn't be this way. That we weren't created for this. And that in itself is a clue to the existence of us knowing that we have more to attain to. That we have a promise in our hearts that's more than the physical. Because we know that there should be something better. And it's very much like that echo of the promise of Abraham in every one of us. But the reality is this. Is our lives get filled with impassable obstacles. That we know there's a promise to be had, we know there's something more, we work really hard to try and attain it. And what we do is we think, oh, there's something more. I'm going to get to that if I can get this or if I can have that job or if I can go to this place or if I can have that partner or if my partner would stop doing this or I could buy this car or if I can have this or I can get that. We will get the more all the time realizing when we get those things, there is still something more. It's eternity in our hearts. It's the echo of the promise of Abraham. But our lives get filled with obstacles that just seem to slam in front of us There seems to be more than one obstacle, just like there's more than one wall of Jericho. There's internal obstacles. There's external obstacles. And there's too many of them sometimes we feel that we that just like, I can't overcome this. External obstacles are things that affect us from the outside in, things that we don't feel like we have any control of. Internal obstacles are those things that we just seem to have developed feelings and lenses and filters that we have that we feel insecure inferior or we we have lies resonating in our minds we're filled with guilt and shame and and then they just stop us from moving on that maybe you want a deeper and better relationship with somebody but past relationships and, and past mistakes are stopping you moving on it's a wall of jericho it's a wall of jericho that maybe you're looking at a wall that if you go, if this just just get away, that, that this situation would change, it's on the external, then maybe I'll be able to get into the promise that resonates inside of me. We have walls. But there's something wonderful about Jericho. Jericho is a combination of obstacle and opportunity combined. Obstacle and opportunity combined. Because what Joshua and the Israelites didn't realize, and we're going to be studying this more over the next few weeks, is actually what they were going to learn as they were walking around the walls of Jericho, was an opportunity to discover more, not only about God and the divine, but also about what promises and things he'd put into their lives, and also they were going to discover things about themselves. So I want to invite you over the next few weeks to join with us as we we walk around these walls, if you like looking at different aspects of Joshua and through what we're going to learn together, look at our obstacles I've been pastoring long enough, 25 plus years now, to know that every person that comes through that door has obstacles and lies and strongholds that just stop us moving on you can call them you're stuck or you get into a rut and you just seem to think, man I've broken through and and, and then something happens to remind actually no it's still there There's a root. There's something problematic. And that's what this series is about. But I want to encourage you by saying this to you. That oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, obstacles that we, or persecution, or opposition that we feel, is a sign that we're moving in the right direction. It's a sign that we're moving in the right direction. Because if Joshua and the Israelites weren't moving towards the promise, they would actually never come up against Jericho. Now, as it happens, we're going to bounce back in a second about the story. They actually don't go into the promised land and spend 40 years wandering around. One year for every day that the spies are in the promised land. But if you are hit in opposition, if you're hitting an obstacle, if you're continually being reminded that you're inferior or that you are not good enough or you've not done enough or, or if you could just sort this out and you can't do this and you won't do let me tell you, you have an enemy that is going to do everything he possibly can to build a seemingly impassable obstacle in front of you and you wouldn't be looking at it and feeling it unless I believe you're moving in the right direction because why would he be giving you the hassle? So be encouraged. Now you can say, Glenn, you, you have no idea how impassable and impossible the obstacle is to me. And I'm not, I'm not flippantly saying that all obstacles are wonderful and great because I've been through enough of them to know that's just, that's a lie. They're awful. They're terrible. And I'm not going to say that every obstacle gets miraculously, as we heard from Stain, gets miraculously taken away. That's not always the case. But let me tell you, in God's wisdom and God's plan, that the actually coming up against the obstacle is in itself a moment of growth and beauty. That I have met some wonderful people who have come up against obstacles only to emerge, sometimes over years, with the character and the beauty of God and Jesus in themselves. It's wonderful. And maybe you've experienced obstacles as God is calling you towards a certain direction I don't know I was reflecting this morning on uh, and Sarah and I were chatting just as we were doing some devotions and and we were reminded in 2003 when uh, we felt strongly that God was saying we need to come to Canada and I was I was in a great job we had a lovely little family two kids we had a nice detached home in a nice town with a couple of cars and a trailer van and and I was doing well. My career was going well, and everything was great. And I was pastoring at the same time. And and then God just kind of puts this promise into our lives. So maybe you've had that, where it's not just a long-term promise, but a short-term. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a new land. And that's what we felt when it came to Canada. And so we started praying. And then it's a long story, but out of the blue, we, I got invited to come and interview for a job in vancouver so we we arrived in march and they came i think i flew back two or three more times after that for different interviews and, and then i was offered the job in june middle of june i was teaching full-time and administration role there and, and and it seemed like man this is this is an obstacle this is a wonderful promise and then came the obstacle it starts at the uh, at the end of august Okay, so I don't know how many of you have tried to emigrate within three or four months. It's, it's, it's filled with obstacles. Like, impassable, seemingly impossible obstacles. And one by one, God showed his faithfulness, just like we heard from Stain and Leishan, and took the obstacles away. But you know what? We had to run at the obstacles sometimes in order to see them taken away. You know, selling stuff, closing stuff down, moving, kids. It, it just kind of, like, one thing, Sarah's... Dad had had literally just passed away after struggling with cancer. My mum and dad's process as well, who are now with us, because they listened to the call as well, which is great. But it was a hard process, let me tell you. Einstein said something wonderful. Failure is success, spelt wrong. I'm guessing being Einstein, he probably knew how to spell success. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he had his mind on other more important things. It's actually ironic, given the nature of the statement There's a failure right in the middle of it, is there not? So thank you for our wonderful team. Failure is is success in progress. Spelled correctly, hallelujah. It's success in progress. That is a great... Wow, miracles do happen. Nice job. It's success in progress. So even though there's the obstacles, be encouraged. However, we do need to ask this question. And this is a journaling question. And I hope that you have grabbed a bit of paper you've got a journal. Because this week, I want you to reflect on this. South family, this is what, it's not just about the sermon this morning, but here's the question. What is your Jericho? What's your wall? Maybe in parenthesis, walls. What do you just keep on coming up against? And you try and circumvent your way around, but you know that it's only going to be a matter of time before you're faced with the walls again. What is your Jericho? Is it internal? Is it external? Are there things that are out of your control? Or are there things that are actually going on inside your life? Because here's two things I want us to learn this morning. As we look at our walls of Jericho, we can choose to focus on the problem instead of the promise. We can choose to focus on the walls of Jericho, the problem instead of the promise. I'll go further and I would say this. We can choose to worship the obstacle instead of the promise. We can so focus on it that it becomes so part of our lives and thus is often our external thing that if only this would move then all our problems would go away. But we can choose to focus on the problem instead of the promise. It's our choice. And there are certain things that over our years that behaviorally we get into a habit of responding and reacting in a certain way. There's some people who are just naturally pessimistic. You say this, they'll go, what about this? Well, what about that? You know, And then there's some people who are naturally loud. I'll guess you which one I am. And there's some people who are naturally quiet. That's fine. But there are times when you need to be actually loud and you can make a choice. And there's times that you should be quiet and you can make a choice. So we actually have these behavioral aspects of our lives that we have choices over. When Sarah and I were first married, it became quickly apparent that the March household, Sarah's um, um, maiden name and family, were shouters. They liked to shout at home. Right, and, and my family weren't. We, we just didn't. And so, so there was this natural proclivity from Sarah to, to be yelling. And I'd be like, why are you yelling at me? Because even though, even though on stage I'm loud and energetic, actually I'm pretty quiet the rest of the time. I really am. And so i why, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. Yeah, you are. And so I but can we just, like this. But then you see me as a rugby coach i got my rugby voice, and I'm loud. I can yell. Really, I won't excuse. I'm mic'd up. I can allow, I make a choice. I can do it. So we have certain things in our lives that so we have a choice over how we respond to situations. But here's what we do. We have a choice over our actions, our voices and our responses, but what we do is we transfer responsibility of our own actions onto somebody else. Well, I didn't mean it, yeah, but you said it. I was only joking, that's transferring responsibility over to somebody else. Or they can't take a joke. Or what's their problem? No, you're the problem. You're the issue. And especially if one or two or three or four or five or maybe more people are saying similar things as to maybe one of what one of, your, one of your responses is, then maybe they're right. And, and that's something that I've had, to, as I've grown older, taken notice of, okay, well, maybe there's, a, maybe there's a, some kind of pattern here. How am I responding? How am I talking? I have a choice as to what to focus on. And I heard a couple of weeks ago this beautiful statement, and I've written this in my journal, and I say this, and I write this down before most meetings. What would a loving, spirit-filled, Jesus-like person say or do in this situation? Or, what would a loving, spirit-filled, Jesus-like person not say or not do in this situation? We have a choice on how to respond. We have a choice. But often we don't, because by responding in a positive way often means work on our part. Look at the response of some of the spies. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we'd died in Egypt, (laughs) or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to each other we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt this is because they've gone into the land and their response was to focus on the problem not on the promise they chose this response this was a behavioral response what's the point? this obstacle's too big It's just the way I am. People are going to have to get over it. I'm just going to go back. You know what? I might cry a bit. I might grumble. I'll blame God. I'll blame my leaders. I'll blame everybody. Let's just die. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it just like depressing even to read it? It's almost comical. And then, as we're going to find out a little bit later, there's a different response. But what does God do in response to this? I, I love what God does. You can, almost, you can almost sense him leaning forward on his beautiful throne, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing a little liberty here visually, I don't have scripture say this, just imagining what God might do, and he's leaning forward, and he's going, right, just give me a couple of minutes for this lot. And he appears, the scripture says, in the tent, the temple where he appears. And he basically says this, okay, none of you are getting in. The only people who are going to get in are Joshua and Caleb, for reasons I'm going to show you in a second. The only people who are going to get into the promised land are Joshua and Caleb, but this whole generation, you are not going to see the promised land. You are going to wander in this land for 40 years, every year, every day. You're going to spend, for every day you're in the land, you're going to spend 40 years wandering around it because your disobedience, your grumbling, your promise, your your focus on the problem and your lack of faithfulness as to what the promise actually means for every one of you. You're just going to wonder. There's going to be a whole new generation that are going to go into the promised land and you're not it. Temples closes. God goes back onto his throne. Drops mic. What's the response? Only Joshua and Caleb would own the land. It's really interesting to me the response of God compared to his people. As his people are focusing on the problem. And we need to be careful not to focus on our problems so much so that we're actually overshadowing the promise of God. That God has called us as Christians to live as promised people. To live in a promised land that is overflowing and flourishing. Filled with joy and peace and hope. And even in the midst of obstacles, that we can still point to a God who is more powerful, more beautiful, more ultimate than anything that the world or anything internal that the enemy might lie to us about, that we can still stand victorious. That's what we're meant to focus on. But friends, that is a choice. How's your day today? It's been better. Are you a Christian? Yes. You have got every opportunity to be filled with the spirit of the living God. Now, I'm not saying you need to skip around on a bed of roses all day and just, can you even do that? Um, That, you know, that everything is great, but let me tell you, there's something deep-seated that is powerful that is at, at our disposal. The other choice is this. We can choose to focus on the God of opportunity rather than the obstacle. We can focus on the God of opportunity rather than the obstacle or the wall. There are people in this room, and I'm very, very grateful, I've had the joy of being friends with and serving and pastoring over the last eight years, who have faced incredible obstacles. Obstacles that you would not wish on anybody. And yet the grace that they have faced that with, the fearlessness, the courage, even through tears, that they've seen the God move in powerful ways, whether it be through health, whether it be through circumstances at work or family. Miracle after miracle. But just like we heard from Stain and Leashon, there comes that point when you have to run up against the wall. Look at the response of Joshua and Caleb. I love this. So remember, this is, this is just after what they've just said. We should die. We need a new leader. You suck. This sucks. We need to go home. We going to go back to slavery. And then Joshua and Caleb, we should go up and take possession of the land. But we can certainly do it. I love it. It's great. The, the contrast is phenomenal. So it makes me ask the question, Glenn, which camp are you in? Well, then naive. Yeah, but happy. Naive but full of faith. Because if you carry on reading it and say, it might be that God will help us. And I'm willing to take that risk. Because I'd rather go and run up against the obstacle. I'd rather go into the promised land that God has promised for me rather than wandering around here in fear and condemnation and criticism. I'd much prefer that. Because then they go on, it says, the land was passed through, this is Joshua and Caleb, and explored and it's exceedingly good. I immediately thought of uh, Mr. Kipling. Exceedingly good cakes. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. So there's no guarantee you see that? But we'll still go. A land flowing with milk and honey and we'll, and, and we'll give it to us. The Lord will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Friends, as a church, a few years ago we were There was a struggle, and and the Lord has been good to us. And as we want to seek to uh, affect and and see the kingdom of God and Jesus move in our community, it's only going to come about by people of the promise running into the promise and believing that regardless of what it might look like, we have the promise, we have the answer. More than that, we have God on our side. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ on our side. See, they chose to fix their eyes on God's ability to overcome the obstacle. Not the obstacle. God's ability to overcome the obstacle. Because they believe, and we we have an even better perspective now, because we have other scripture and history on our side. We can look at scriptures that say this, if God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, said Paul in Romans chapter 8 what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who loved him. So God's given us a challenge. Think it up. Have a think. Imagine, Just imagine what Kelowna might look like if everybody was a Jesus believer. Think about it. I'll do more. I can do more. And by his wisdom and his sovereignty, he has chosen to use you and me, Christian friends, to actually be the, the vessel of that message. But we can have a choice, we can go, well the obstacle is too big, what's the point, or we haven't got the resources, or we haven't got the time, or I'm not going to do this because nobody will sign up. Or we can say, you know what, four out of five people on the stage last Sunday are going to be maddens. we'll make it happen. You can make a choice, you can make a choice to say I'm going to volunteer, you can make a choice to say I'm going to join the kids team, you can make a choice and say I'm going to join the welcome team or the worship team, or South Art Project, you make a choice or you can sit back on the edge, look into it and go, "Mm, it's never going to work, what's the point? I know which camp I want to be in. I want to be with Joshua and Caleb. It's scary, but they're the ones that saw the promise. With God, all things are possible. We serve an amazing God. God, the scripture tells us, is, is, is omnipresent. He's always with us. He's always alongside us. He's in us. I was reading Colossians this morning. He's in and through and for and by Jesus. That as a Jesus-believing Christian, as somebody who follows Jesus, that I have the absolute presence of God inside of me. Nothing is impossible for him. He is all-powerful. He's all-omnipotent. He can do anything he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. And I get to run alongside him. Like we can see change in our city. We can see change in our church. We can see those obstacles removed and conquered like we saw in Paul in Romans chapter 8. We can see them because God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent and he is also omniscient. He has the wisdom. His thinking is far above our thinking. Press into it. Spend time with it. You know, and maybe we look at the story over the next few weeks, we go, well, it's Joshua. You know, it's not me. I can't do that. Do you know what I find fascinating about Joshua is that he's constantly reminded to be strong and courageous. Why would you want to constantly remind somebody to be strong and courageous if they were already strong and courageous? You know, it doesn't make sense. What you do is you tell somebody who's got some insecurity, some inferiority perhaps, and some weakness and challenge. Come on, you can do this. Moses tells them at the end of Deuteronomy. God tells them at the beginning of Joshua. His own people tell him later on in Joshua, be strong and courageous, Joshua. So get this kind of cape flowing in the wind idea of character, of Joshua being this omni-competent leader. I'm not convinced. Moses had actual face time with God. Do you know what Joshua had? Joshua had the word of God. Meditate on it. He chose to focus on what God could do and the promises made. And he needed affirmation. He positioned himself to be affirmed. So think about your obstacle. And maybe you're struggling to do that right now, which is why I'm encouraging you to spend some time journaling it out. And then look at the obstacle and go, okay, what opportunity is there here? I like the quote from Michael Hyatt, who's a Christian writer and used to be pastor and now leadership consultant. He said, What does this experience make possible? I wanna no offense, Mike, but I, I wanna I just wanna add a little bit into there. What does this experience make possible for God? What what what's possible? What what could be, remember then the scripture that says far above your thoughts? we have a powerful god so don't hold back there's a process of growth that we need to work through god you can do this you know uh, one of the things i've been reminded a lot, a lot over the last few uh, month or two is is just one of the challenges as a pastor is when people decide not to come to church anymore and uh, they, they just drift and you kind of go oh, hang on a second there's that person I haven't seen that person and, 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 that's, and sometimes then you kind of get through the grapevine especially in Kelowna there's a lot of shuffling of the same cards and let's be honest you know, and, 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 that's, and that's I don't think right but that's just the way it is and we can get annoyed about it but it just is but it's, it's, very, it's very challenging as a pastor to, to work through that because you, you have a danger of taking it personally And I'm sure if you thought that, you could understand why. But what I I noticed about six weeks ago, there were certain certain situations and certain people, and don't try and figure out who they are, okay, South family because you won't. I promise you, you won't. Because I'm not necessarily even talking about here. I'm talking about stuff 15, 20 years ago. That there's still, when I hear that name, I kind of go, oh, I dedicated their kids. I baptized their kids. I married their kids. I was there on Christmas Eve with their kids when this and this was happening in their family. And all these, this is what I did, and this is what I did, and this is what I did, and this is what I did. And, I did. and then they leave. Ooh, that's what was going on inside of me. And, you know, so now I'm giving you reason to leave because now you think you've got a bitter pasta. But and that's, there was just like two or three names. And the Lord just gave me these names one Sunday morning. Uh, one morning I was journaling and I wrote down their name and I was like, watch and like one of them was literally 20 years ago when I first started pastoring like, well a little less than that and, then, and then I was like why and like, what do I do with this you can't just decide to let it go you know what i let it go because so you hit the obstacle again and the Lord just said pray for them dear Lord I pray they'll be really blessed with whatever church they're messing up right now and just pray and then the next day you pray for them you pray for them the next day you pray for them and then I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago and the guy said the exact same thing to me Terry and Terry and uh, Janet were there and, and I'm like oh okay let's just pray let's just pray and just pray can I just say that that process of hitting an obstacle and then bringing it to the Lord to pray for actually causes a way where you can see God take and change and move where I can honestly say That obstacle is gone now. I actually feel good things. If I saw them, I wouldn't be hugging them really tight. It'd be okay. It'd be all right. So it makes me wonder what obstacle that we all have, that if we actually approach it in a different way and think, what would a spirit-filled, loving, Jesus-like person, how would they respond to this and actually do that, then we're starting to walk around the walls and see them removed. Because it was God that removed the walls. And we're gonna see over the next few weeks ways that God did it and, and things, little things that are, you read Joshua chapter six that are buried in there that are fascinating, and we're gonna we're gonna look at the lens of we're gonna look at Joshua through that lens. But for this week I want you to know that we all have obstacles, and obstacles are often a sign that you're moving in the right direction. But when we come up to the obstacles we have a choice as to whether to focus on the problem or on the promise. And if by choosing to focus on the promise, let's pray that God, through his ability, actually removes the obstacle. And let's enjoy that process as much as we possibly can, no matter how horrendous that wall looks. But let me finish off by saying this. The greatest obstacle to seeing the fulfillment of God's promise in your life is that those walls are not just issues and lies or strongholds of other people, but it's your own heart and your own sin And you're actually being separated from what God created you to be by your own choice and decision in life to sin. And what I'm saying is this, that you've never actually submitted to the promise of God. You've never actually confessed that Jesus is Lord. You've never actually submitted to all that the cross represents, that we are unable to fix ourselves, that we are sinners And even though that's not a popular word, but all we need to do is look out there and see the evidence of sin and then look in here and see the evidence of sin and the shame and the guilt that's attached to it. And even though we try and fix ourselves to get to the promise, we know that we're just hitting that wall. And I can tell you that wall is eternally high and eternally wide and eternally thick. And you will never, ever, ever get past it without Jesus. Because Jesus is the hero of Joshua, not Joshua. God is the hero of this book, not Joshua. And so Jesus needs to become the hero of our lives as we submit to him that the promise, the promise that was placed in us at the beginning, we go back to that. The Bible calls it being reconciled back. So we have a new creation. And then all the promises of the divine come flooding into our lives forever and ever and ever. And then the obstacles that come in our way are, I say this reverently and lovingly, easily removed. But that obstacle is never removed by your own effort or by your own ability or your own good looks or your own intellect or your good grades or who you marry or what your kids do at soccer on Saturdays or what car you drive or what anything, self-help books that you want to read. None of those things remove this eternal wall that stops you getting into the presence of God. That's the greatest wall to overcome. But the good news is this, you don't have to overcome it. Jesus overcome it, which is why I love South Art Project. Prophetically, you place this below the cross. Because broken walls, broken walls, this broken life that comes to Jesus and says, I need your help. Forgive me. But God, literally, you know, the, the veil was torn apart. The walls come down. God's presence floods in. And now we journey into the promise together. If you've not got that, that is where you start. That is where you start. And as we sing and we pray in just a second, I want to invite you to actually consider what the walls are like. Don't think it's about internal or external walls unless you are very confident that the ultimate wall has been removed by Jesus through the cross. And the scripture says it's very, very simple to see that appropriated into your life. By humbly coming to him. And the scripture says, by submitting to his lordship and then confessing with our mouth. So you need to tell somebody. And he says, You you too could be saved. You too can have those walls broken down. And that can happen this morning. Last week we had somebody fill out a connect card and said, I became a Christian today. Gave it into the connect desk. Praise God, walls broken down. Love it. Love it. And that could be you this morning. And as a church, we're all about Jesus. And even though this Old Testament study is in a book that doesn't mention Jesus, it's all about Jesus. This church is all about Jesus because he is the ultimate wall breaker. Let's pray. Just ask um, the media team, you can leave that slide up just for a second. Lord as we peer into this book, Joshua, Lord, what, a, what an amazing story of miracles and faithfulness and bravery, sometimes confusion that Lord, there's so much that we can relate to. But Lord, I pray for this group of people and those that hear and listen on the internet and on the recording that father, right now, even as we worship together, that, that Lord, you would reveal to us, that Lord, you would reveal to us what walls are being built and have been built up in our lives. And Lord, you would show them to us. And Lord, we would humbly hand them back to you and say, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? Lord, I pray this week for people who are Jesus followers in the room who confess that Jesus is Lord, that Father, that we would spend time this week just reflecting and asking you, Lord, what is it that you want removed? How can I appropriate that promise in my life? Lord, for those who have yet to fully submit themselves to you, and make you Lord of their lives. Lord, I prayed, and as we sing, that you would speak to them and draw them to yourself in a way that only you can do. But Lord, there would be prayers of confession and asking for forgiveness. And that Lord, that you would flood into their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made on the cross. That you are our God, hero, almighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing in just a second. I just want to tell you before Sarah leads us in, the, in a couple of songs, is next week, the sermon title is God's plan, our plan, how to trust in God's perfect plan even when it seems to be crazy to do so. That God's unconventional, sometimes we just shy away from, and yet God seems to work through the unconventional. And so I just encourage you next week to come out because it builds on what we have talked about today. So we're going to sing and then we're going to have some prayer at the end. And uh, let's stand together and I encourage you to respond and to sing.